Good morning. Um, a side note before I start getting started in my sermon, um, lightning strike hit our soundboard a few weeks ago, hence the difficulties we've been having lately. So prayers requested for a financial breakthrough for our, our AV tech. Um, but but it, it, this is what I want to say today, that there are prophetic words that have been given to us as a congregation, to us as, an, as individuals who make up this congregation, and it's time to start taking those seriously and time to do something with them. So we're, like Brian was saying, um, can, Donna, can you put up that vision series slide? Like all things in following Jesus, sometimes you get a curveball, right? Well, our curveball is like we had this like sermon stuff planned for the next few weeks, and Brian and I were going to share a little bit about vision and direction on the five-year anniversary. And let me just tell you, over the last couple of weeks, beginning about six weeks ago, but particularly the last two to three weeks, like Brian and I have just been accosted by the Lord with this sense of urgency to share and um, to um, rely on the Holy Spirit for the prophetic words that he's given and an urgency to action. Hence, me being up here again this week, um, we're, um, we're going to spend however long it takes to do this and because I think it's responding to what the Lord is saying right now. So today, particularly what I, to, what I want to do is talk about the prophetic words that talk about where we are right now and how we can respond right now to what God is doing. In the next weeks, we'll be talking more about the things that God has spoken, where we're going in direction, okay? And so, um, so I will give some specifics today. By the way, Jay came up to me last Sunday after the service and said, that's really good, but we need to know what to do. And so I'm hoping today to give you some answers about what we can do together as a church to respond to God. And also with the caveat that Brian and I feel the need, like I said, to take our time covering these things. So more things will be coming up over the, the next weeks. But I will give you some tangible things today of what you can do to respond to what God's saying to us as a congregation. Um, so first of all, <clears throat> I want to start with Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands, stands watch in vain. And so this Crestwood Vineyard is God's idea, Right? Like, there's a million churches in Oklahoma, right? Maybe not, maybe it is literally a million. I don't know. It's probably not literally a million, but there's a bunch of churches. So why do we need another church? Why are we even here? Because it was in God's mind to do this. Um, I want to take you back um, to, to some of the when, who, where, whys of why we planted this church five years ago to show you that this was God's idea, not our idea, right? I, you know what? Church is hard. <laughs> Building a church is hard. Pastoring a church is hard. I have a lot better time, things to do with my time, unless it's God who is the one who's doing the building, right? All of you have better things to do with your time than sit here on a Sunday morning, unless it's God who's doing the building, right? I don't want to waste your time anymore. I'm not going to waste your time. We are here for a reason, we're here for a purpose, and we're going to start doing it. 
the end, and that's it, right? <laughs> There's more. Um, okay, so Crestwood Vineyard was God's idea. The win was God's idea. For years, like from 2007-ish to 2013, there was a stirring in Brian's heart and my heart to have another vineyard church in Oklahoma City. There was a stirring in many of your hearts for there's something more that I'm looking for in a church. There's something more that God's calling me to. And, and Charles, the same thing. We were all um, saying, God, there's, there's something that we're waiting on, but we don't know what it is that we're waiting on. And in 2013, a few things happened of significance. Um, one, there was a Power and Love Conference uh, Bob Hazlett was here in March of 2013, and at that we know Bob Hazlett now. We've become quasi friends. You know, Brian's been talking to me even this week. Uh, but at the time, we had never met Bob Hazlett, and Bob Hazlett calls. He's a prophetic guy. Those of you who don't know, he called Brian out of a large meeting. Brian comes forward and he gives him this word about planting and starting a planting movement, and within a month. In April 2013, God gave a word to Charles that now is the time for a new vineyard church in Oklahoma City. So the win was entirely God's idea. And in fact, it was a really terrible time for us. Like the timing of it on our time scale was completely ridiculous, but it was God's time. It was God's time to say, now I want a church in Oklahoma City. So the win was God's idea. We started then in September, obviously, five years ago. We're coming up with the anniversary in 2013. The who was God's idea. Not only did God speak to those of us who are in leadership here, but listening to some of your stories about how you got here, there are some ridiculously crazy supernatural stories of how you ended up in these pews. Every one of you was called here. You are the who in Crestwood Vineyard. You were brought here for a purpose. Not only was the when God's idea and the who God's idea, but the where was God's idea. When we decided to plant, we didn't know Edmond, Oklahoma City, Yukon. We didn't know home church, building. You know, uh, we didn't know anything. But um, is, by the way, is Jim Rez here? No. Okay. Um, so Crestwood Baptist owned this church, this building. A lot of it had gone into dis disuse. And um, Jim Rez was one of the elders, um, the five elders, who were a part of Crestwood Baptist. And in January 2014, they decided to give us this building. So God decided where. And that where determines a lot. We're not a suburban church. That means we're not glitzy. <laughs> we're, we're urban. We're an urban church. We're going to look like an urban church. We're going to minister to people in this neighborhood, this demographic. We're going to look like this around us. And it also means that we're in a building. Like, there's a, a structure here that people come to and a, con, you know, a, a sanctuary to come to. So we're not a house planting, like a house church planting movement. Um, although we can obviously meet in homes, please do. I'm not saying that. That's a vital part of who we are as a, as a church. But this building defines some of how and why we do what we do, right? And so it means Sunday morning services are important. We have a place for a large number of people to gather, right? So the, the where was important. Um, also um, related to the where is the how. Like I said, you know, this is a place that was built 
for Sunday worship corporate altogether. And so to honor what God has done with this building is to honor how we do worship. Also, um, he told us the what. Through the prophetic words that were given uh, through Bob Hazlett, um, through also what God has put in the leader's heart, but not just our hearts, but I've heard many things from many of you about the, those longings in your heart for what church could be. All of those things define the what of Crestwood Vineyard. First and foremost, we are an equipping center. We equip disciples in an up and an out lifestyle. And there are, there are many churches who, um, okay, I guess I want to say it this way. There's a difference between being a disciple who walks as a disciple and a disciple who knows to duplicate yourself and equip others to become disciples. So as a disciple in Crestwood Vineyard, you are an equipping individual who is, has the DNA of John Wimber, the vineyard, and everything that goes with it, that ministry must be reproducible. That what God is doing in you does not stop with you. It gets passed on because you can't help but contain, but also you have to have the discipline to not contain. That disciples, that replicating the equipping, the service from one disciple to another, growing each other in Christ, Right? Uh, we've also been given words about being a hub, being an, being an aircraft carrier. We'll talk more about that in the next coming weeks. I'm not going to focus on that particularly today. <laughs> so God has decided what he wants this church to look, to look like. Um, also, we've been given the word that there would be a, a congregation consistently of 500 people in this building. We're not there. We'll get there. But that's part of what he wants. That's his desire for this church, not ours. I probably would have picked a different number or a different way. And here's the thing. All of us may have come to this church with a different expectation and a different comfort zone of what you like church to be. But what I'm telling you is God is going to be growing this church into what it will be, not saying what it is. And so we have to have the flexibility to grow with God on this journey. Because I don't want my church right? I don't want a lot of people that look like me. I want Jesus's church. I want his plans for this church, and I want to do what he wants to do. Um, so like back to Psalm 127, we aren't building just a church. We don't need another a church. God loves Crestwood Vineyard. Just like every child, like when, you know, when, he, when, when each of us was conceived, he had a plan, he had a thought, he had a dream for what this child would become. The same thing with our church. There's something that Crestwood Vineyard can and will become by the grace of God and a lot of hard work. But it, it's something that's unique to who we are. So we're going to look a little different than other churches. We're going to look different than New Song Church that we prayed for this morning. We're going to look different than Bridgeway or Our Lords or, or any of the churches in the city. We're going to look like Crestwood Vineyard. And remember a few weeks ago, Charles um, spoke on the four movements of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Last week, by the way, um, I spoke on this and how it relates to um, the life of David, but also to our congregation. And we just, like I was saying, we had some technical stuff um, going on. That video wasn't able to be uploaded, but that will be happening. The last week's sermon will be uploaded here, hopefully today. So um, I, I would like you, if you weren't here last Sunday, to listen to that, because I think it's, it's showing us this four movements of the Spirit. Also, sermon, if 
Charles's sermon from like three weeks ago, where he talked about this initially. It's really helpful. So I, in the life of the believer, there's an, initially this time of awakening where we come alive to the Holy Spirit, we come alive to who Jesus is and the things that he's doing in our lives, and there's a lot of excitement and growth and, um, and increase in spiritual gifts and stuff. And then we go through a time of purgation, and that purgation is a time where we get tested and we get tried and we go through really difficult times, um, but through it, he's cleansing us. He's purgation, meaning purifying um, us. And then there's a time of illumination. And so um, illumination is when you step out of that time of, of purgation and you're stepping into illumination. And that's stepping into the destiny of the things that God's called you to with a new um, empowerment that you didn't have. You had to go through that wilderness time. You had to go through that difficulty to get to the other side where God could use you in the way he wanted to, to use you. And so I believe that that is where we are now as a church. And last week, if you'll remember, I, I was relating this to the life of David. You know, he had spent six, seven years um, in the wilderness, running for his life, fleeing Saul, trying to not be murdered, right? It was a very difficult time for him. But when Saul died, he could have stayed in the wilderness. He could have stayed in the strongholds. He could have stayed in those places, even though it was difficult, it was safe, right? He was safe in that stronghold. He was safe being covered by God in that place. But then he asked the Lord, is it time? Is it time for me to come out and be king? And the Lord said, yes, yes, it's time. And so Crestwood, this is, this is the moment that we are at right now in our congregation where we have been in this safe place We've been playing it safe. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm saying that for that's the season that we were in. We were in a season of purgation, a season of purifying, and none of that is wasted. In fact, all of it is necessary. But now we are at that same place that David was. Is it time to come out? And I'm telling you, you have a choice in the matter. And I'm telling you, the Lord is saying, it's time to come out. It's time to come out. Um, so it's time, just like David, he had the choice to come out of those caves and to walk into the destiny that God had for him. We are in the same place. There are prophetic promises we've been holding on to that we've been, we've been treasuring, but we didn't know what to do with them. And it just wasn't the time because we had to go through something to be able to get to that place. And we couldn't speed it up. We couldn't have done it sooner, but now is the time. Okay. Now is the time. Um, so the prophetic words that we've been given give us insight into this tra transition from purgation to elimination. And there's um, three or four specific words that I'm going to share with you that we were given over the last year, a little bit more than a year. The first one I got was from Michelle Bessie, who moved away to Louisiana, but we, we dearly miss her. She said, Janine, I saw a bush. It was a beautiful bush. And God started pruning it. And at first I thought, oh, that's really good. Every bush needs a good pruning. But then he kept on pruning. And he kept on pruning. And, and I said to him, Lord is going to die. You, you can't keep pruning it. It's going to die. And, and just at that moment when she was sure it was going to die, then tremendous growth broke through. Okay? So that's picture number one. And just to give you just some scriptural um, meaning behind pruning. Like, 
you know, pr pruning a bush, like you're cutting off the, the things that are holding back the growth. And um, in First John, I'm not First John, John 15, 1 and 2, this is Jesus speaking about himself. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. By the way, can I just say I'm a vineyard person. I love this analogy, right? <laughs> I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And, while, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So the pruning is his love. The pruning is to bear more fruit. The pruning, the cutting back, the pain, the difficulty is for your good, for your benefit, for your fruitfulness. And may I say this too, um, the, the people that we have lost in the last two years, there's been people. Those people were following Jesus. They weren't fit, <laughs> like they, like they were being moved from this vine to another vine where they could grow and be fruitful, okay? So I'm not saying the pruning in any sense of this is better than that. I'm not saying that at all. I will never say that. I bless, bless, bless every single person we've lost. And I want them to grow and flourish in the vineyard that they are planted in. But what I'm concerned about this morning with is our vineyard, our vineyard, we have been pruned, pruned, pruned. Oh God, you're going to kill it and prune some more. And that's where we are. But then the growth is coming. Okay? The growth is coming because that's what he said. Um, the, another word that we had, a similar picture, is an, a great exodus followed by a great influx. Um, this uh, last month in July, when Clay Harrington was here as our guest speaker, he, the words he used was that there would be an enormous gathering ready to take place, and it's going to require a lot of hard work. There's an enormous gathering coming, Crestwood, and it's going to require a lot of work, okay? So um, let me also share you something that has given me much joy and delight over the last year, it's our security team. I have had many people ask me like, why do we have such a big security team? Like there's so many of them, that, you know, and they're not scary, they're really great. But I'll tell you why we have such a big security team for our little church, you wanna know why? Because around a year ago or so, where's Leland, I see you, there's Leland. Leland heard from the Lord, this church is about to explode and we need the security team to handle it. That we need a security team that can handle hundreds of people coming in and out of this building on a daily basis. And so you know what? They've been faithful with that. They have been, they took it seriously. And they have been building a security team fit for a church of 2,000 in our little building. Not because that's what we need now, but it's because it's what we'll need when we're where we are a year from now. So Crestwood, what are the things that God's told you that you can bring to the table, the things that you can build in our congregation? And it may seem out of place right now, like, well, how would that apply to this little church? Well, maybe because it's not meant to apply to this little church. Maybe it's meant to apply to the church that God is building and where we're going. And here's the thing, like, I don't need a big church, right? <laughs> big church means more people, and more people means more mess, right? Let's just be real. Um, and so 
People for people's sake is completely pointless. But disciples who are equipped to disciple other disciples and living an up and out lifestyle, that's who I want. And Lord, bust the doors open. Like bring in the extra chairs, the multiple services, whatever we need to do to equip as many people in the city to do the work of the ministry in their everyday lives as possible. Because the world needs Christians who believe that Jesus is Christ. So, Janine, is this just wishful thinking? <laughs> Janine, how do you know that, like, this is the time to move from exodus to influx, from pruning to growth? Um, I'll tell you why, because of another prophetic word that I got. <laughs> and then one that Brian and I got together. Uh, six weeks ago, I was praying up in the prayer room. And... And here's the thing with prophetic words. Many times they're very, 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 very faint. But I felt the Lord say to me, I was laying down on my face in the prayer room upstairs. And I felt the Lord say to me, it's time to build again. It's time, it's like, it's like we're starting all over. Like the five-year mark is like starting over at day one. It's time to be excited it's time to build. But here's the thing. It was so faint. And I know my own broken, wishful thinking. Like, my optimism, I can use it um, very destructively sometimes. Like, you know, like an ostrich uh, <laughs> putting its head in the sand. Like, I know that part of me that, that um, can be hopeful when I need to be realistic, right? And so I, and it was so faint. I didn't even know for sure that it was the Lord. And, and so I just, I... I, I just kind of set it aside and I said, well, Lord, if I think this is what you're saying. If that's what you're saying, I don't trust me alone to hear that. I need you to tell me through someone else in a different way that's completely out of the blue, that it's not someone related for, to the church. It's in a completely supernatural way. And I honestly set it out of my mind. I didn't think about it through the next few days or, or anything like that. I didn't even tell Brian because um, I, I seriously wanted it to be not influenced. You know what I mean? Not manipulated. So then um, the following Saturday, um, Brian and I were, and our family were at a family reunion. And um, there's a distant, distant cousin who I didn't even know how we were related. My dad kind of called him over to our table and said, like, hey, this is so-and-so, and he's related this so-and-so way. And, and, um, and so he certainly didn't know what's going on in our lives, not to mention our church, Right. And so it's like, oh, okay, good, good to meet you. And he walks away. Well, he comes right back two minutes later. He said, I walked away to get some food, and then I felt like I had the word of the Lord for your church. He said, for the last two years, you've been going through a fire. And you almost got burned up. But it's changing now. Get ready for a huge abundance, a huge influx, huge blessings pouring down on you because it's changing now. And when you come back a year later, it's not going to look anything the same. So crest it. Now is the time. Now is the time. Here's another word that we got. 
and this relates directly to you. Not, not, it relates to us as a congregation, but I'm telling you that this word relates to every single one of you. We had a word last winter. I don't remember exactly when it was. I want to say it was around December. That there would be a great shaking in our congregation, and many people would scatter, but that the people who were left would be builders and bringers. So you know what that means? You're here. You are a builder. You are a bringer. If you've enjoyed just scooting along and coasting and going to church, that's changing because you're not a sitter. You're not a soaker. I mean, okay, there's a time to sit and there's a soak. Okay, so everything in perspective, right? Okay. You're not a word consumer. You are not a... uh, You're not someone who's going to be like this, you know, this, the parable of the seeds where the seed gets tossed off to the side and you let it wither. You let it get choked out. Instead, who you are, you're here in this room, so I'm saying it right now. You are a builder. You are a bringer. That requires work. It requires a lot of hard work. It requires a lot of prayers. It requires changing our priorities to build what God wants to build. So what do builders do? Builders build the infrastructure of the church. They build the systems like the security team. They build the children's ministry. They build the youth ministry like Derek over there. They're building the infrastructure that will support not this church, but a church of 500 plus. That not only is a church of 500 plus, but it's also an aircraft carrier and a hub where people are coming in and out and in and out from other churches from around the world and locally and globally. So to to do that, we have to have a steady, very healthy infrastructure. And we have the infrastructure to support what we have right now. We don't have the infrastructure to support what we will need in the coming years. Okay? So now is the time to build. Builders also build relationships. They know that they can't do it on their own. Look around you, seriously, look around. These are the people that you're building with. This is your family. And part of the building that is coming is building relationships. Uh, Building our facility. We just kind of barely skate by with our facility. We haven't had any room in the budget or the manpower to make any improvements. We're just barely, like... Our uh, South AC is out, and it's been out since, like, what, June? And we don't have the bank account to sustain it. But I believe that we are the ones that are going to make that happen in this room. Yes, the Lord's going to be bringing more, but you guys, you guys are the ones from the prophetic picture that are the builders and the bringers, okay? We need to build our bank account, Hallelujah. We need to build our bank account. <laughs> we need to build the ministries, build, build the children. Um, also, we are bringers. What do bringers do? They bring people to Jesus. Right? They're excited about their faith, and they tell people about Jesus. Right? So you guys are bringers. And um, I do not want to 
be that church that takes people from other churches. But there are people out there who are looking for a church, and they are really good builders and bringers too. And I want you to invite them and say, hey, we have this really great thing that God's doing at Crestwood, and you need to become be a part of it. You guys are bringers. Every one of you. I know it because he said it. The people left would be builders and bringers. <laughs> That's you. Be a builder, be a bringer. The next thing I want to say is that prophetic words are conditional. Oh. God gives prophetic words that give us guidance and direction. That doesn't mean we have to go. Like lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. God has plans for this church. Are you going to do what's necessary to follow his direction, his lead? Because here's the thing. That's where the grace is. The grace is to follow him even in difficult things rather than to stay back and stay where it's easy. Sometimes staying where it's easy is more harmful than just getting your hands dirty and trusting God to give you what you need in the moment. Right? So there is grace to do the work. There's grace to put your hands to the plow and get things done. Um, Matthew 11 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Crestwood was God, God's idea, not my idea, not Brian's idea. Crestwood was God's idea. So this is his yoke, not mine, not yours, but we get to take it on us. Take my yoke upon you. It's a choice. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I don't know about you, but I need a gentle God on my side. <laughs> Even if it means we're doing hard work together, he's gentle and he's humble, and that's the best partner you can have. And you will find rest for your souls. How is it, only by supernatural grace of God, that doing work, you find rest for your soul? We can find rest for our bodies. We can find rest for our minds. But the only way to find rest for your soul is by partnering with God in what he's doing. I, you know, have you ever had that experience where you're like, I'm just so tired. And you get the physical rest you need, but you're still not rested. The rest that we need is the rest for our souls. And that comes with partnering with Jesus, not sitting around. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So we have to hold on to the things that God has told us. There's a great example of this in 1 Timothy. This is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. And um, this is in, in the first chapter, so it's just kind of in his introductory remarks. But what he says to Timothy, do we have it up there? Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. And then he goes on to give a lot of specific instructions to the rest of the book. But you know what Paul's saying here is like, Timothy, you've been given prophetic words. Now you need to act like it. You've been given prophetic words, and those are your compass of where you're going. Don't lose sight of it. So Crestwood, we've been given some prophetic words. This is where we're going. Get on board or go. Don't. You know what I mean? But, but what we don't have time for is to just dally around. Okay, there is a lot of work to be done. And as a church, God is giving us the grace to hold on to those prophetic words and to live according to them. There's also spiritual warfare. 
involved in walking in prophetic. And to, because, I mean, the last thing the enemy would want was for God's purposes to be fulfilled, right? So I am under no illusion that next week we're going to have 200 people on Sunday morning and then 300 people, and it's just going to be amazing roses and sunshine. There is going to be contention. We are going to have to fight and stand and lock arms with each other side by side that we are in this together. When the enemy comes against your family, he comes against me. When the enemy comes against your business, he comes against me. And we lock arms side by side, submitted to the lordship of Jesus and doing the things that he's called us to do no matter what the enemy is trying to throw our way. You see this with David, like he comes out of the caves and he, he becomes the king of Judah. But like the whole rest of the book of 2 Samuel is how hard it was. How many enemies David had. Everything that came up against him. So I, I do believe that. And that's what means, that's how we know that God is building the house. Like God can build the house in the midst of that. Well, yeah, he can. That's how we know it was God. That's how a year from now we will know only God could have done this because we are going to have conflict. We are going to have the enemy bumping up against us, but that's where we stand with each other. We pray for each other and we continue in the good work. So you guys are the builders. You guys are the bringers, and that requires commitment and devotion. Where am I at on time? Okay. Acts 2. This is right after the Spirit comes, the day of Pentecost. 3,000 new members are added into the kingdom. And it says, they, meaning the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. This is a vision of... of of part of a vision of who we are to be. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together. That means like they went out to Empire Pizza together. In their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, Crestwood, part of what this is going to take is not only coming together for worship. We come together around our dinner tables. We come together in our homes. We love on each other. We commit ourselves to teaching. We commit ourselves to the word. We commit ourselves to communion and the sacraments. But we also commit ourselves to each other. So, I told you earlier that I would give you some specifics. This isn't all the specifics, but this is, this is step one. I want to ask you guys to commit to four things for now. Number one, I want you to commit to prayer. I want you to be praying for this church every day. And you're not going to bother me if you pull out your phone right now and set a reminder, do whatever you need to do to commit to praying for this church. Pray for the builders, pray for the bringers, pray for all of those who are yet to come. Pray that God would build his church. And here's the thing, I believe we have a God who speaks to us. 
So if you hear the Lord giving a prophetic word to you for our church, please send it to us. Our, your, the Crestwood Vineyard app on your phone or the website, crestwoodvineyard.org. Let us know what the Lord's saying to you because I believe that he speaks to all of us, right? So first of all, commit yourself to prayer. Secondly, I want you to commit yourself to relationships. These are the people that you're going to be building and bringing with. These are your family. Spend time with them. Get to know their needs. Let them know your needs. Pray for each other. Lift each other up. Be a support to each other. Commit yourself to relationships. Third, I want you to commit yourself to serve. And there's two ways I, I want, that you can do this, meaning I would like you to do both ways. <laughs> Not there's a choice either or. <laughs> I'm being really pretty adamant in the way I'm speaking today, aren't I? I kind of like it. Uh, first of all, in your everyday life, I want you to serve the people around you. Um, Donna, can you put the everyone loved one? At the beginning of the year, Brian talked about this. Everyone, just one person, all of you, Find one person, love one, serve one, pray for one. Every day, every week, every, you know, you've got someone every day. It doesn't have to be the same person every day, or maybe it is. But every day you love one, serve one, pray for one. You, uh, you know what that looked like for me practically this last year? I felt the Lord put it on my heart to commit myself to one of my children's teachers. And I had an alarm on my phone every day at a certain time. I prayed for her. I knew what she, I, I would sometimes, you know, touch base with her and ask her what she needed prayer for. I would pray for her every day. I would stock her room with Kleenex. I would give her whatever she needed to, to support this teacher working in our public schools, right? Um, it may be like we've got the group that goes out every Wednesday to do door-to-door -door evangelism or on the streets. They are going out every Wednesday to pray for people, to, to meet people's needs, to see the power of God break through um, for people in completely unexpected ways. So in your everyday life, as you go about your everyday life, you don't even have to go outside of your regular sphere of influence unless God directs you to. Where you already are, who can you love, serve, and pray for? Okay? Because I believe that that's one of the ways that this congregation is going to grow, by people coming into the kingdom. Hallelujah. I want the mess of a bunch of newborn Christians who don't know what they're doing. Wouldn't that be amazing? I want it. I want the mess of lots of newborn Christians. I know the way that you can serve is here in our church. We have lots of needs. CV Kids has needs. The security team, even though they're great, they can, they, they'll tell you that we'll take more, right? We'll take more. Uh, our, the greeters, Mandy, she will get you signed up right now, right there. If you want to be a greeter, right there. That's where you go. Um, there are needs in this church. There's needs in our facility. Um, there's a visitor who's only been here a few weeks who wrote on a Connect card that they wanted to help paint the building. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I don't know if you're here. Hi, I haven't met you. I love you already. Um, so, um, so serve, find a way to serve. We, there's already like on ramps for certain ways to serve. There's, uh, handouts at the back for CV kids. If you want to volunteer for CV kids, just serve back there once a month. Um, but if you have a unique way that you feel like God's calling you, I could serve in this capacity. Send me an email on, you know, or send it on your app. We will find, you know, if you want to serve, there's things to do. Okay. <laughs> we will find things for you to do. 
Okay, the last thing is I want you to commit to financial generosity. Ouch, oh, she said it. <laughs> I did. It takes money to build a church. It takes money to, to sustain a church, which is all we've been doing. And, and let me tell you, um, it takes about $30,000 each month to just do the bare minimum that we do around here. As you can see, we haven't had any ma big major improvements on the facility. In fact, the facility is declining. And so just to skate by, $30,000 a month. And you know what? Last week, we got a bill from insurance that like the annual renewal was $10,000. So if someone wants to write a check today for $10,000, I will gladly take it. Here's the thing. None of us on staff are getting rich off of you, I swear it. None of us make more than a teacher's salary. Brian, in fact, has voluntarily chosen to go on part-time pay so that he can work here full-time. Brian and I both have other jobs outside of this that support us. So we are not going to be uh, bleeding this church dry. I swear it. The board will have to command me to get a raise <laughs> before I take one. I will work every other job I need to to get the extra money I need to support my family before I take it from this church. Okay? So it's not going to line anyone's pockets. It's going to build the kingdom. And I want to say this too. This is a broad generalization. There's exceptions to every rule. But in a generalization, the people older than me are supporting this church. The people younger than me are taking advantage of it and not contributing. And so I want you to prayerfully consider what the Lord is asking of you. And I want you to, I want the Lord, I, I want you to be open to being generous till it hurts. Okay? Not because I'm, the thing, I'm not trying to build anything. God's trying to be, build something. And I'm just wanting to be obedient to what he's doing. Okay? So I am asking you to commit to financial generosity. I am. And, and I think maybe I, I, yeah, I do. I think I need to repent for shying away from that. I'm sorry, congregation. I haven't led you well in this. There's been a number of times over the last two years that, like, in our preaching plans, we had, like, generosity sermons penciled in, and then we marked it back off. And so I want to repent to you that I haven't called you into the blessings that God has for you in a life of financial generosity. Because I think I've held some of, not only held our, our church back, but I think it's held some of you personally back. Because God does so much with a generous heart. God does so much with a generous heart. So, I'm calling you to commit to prayer, commit to relationships, commit to serving, and to commit to fi financial generosity. And that's a big ask. I know it. I know, like, I kind of, like, swung for outfield today, right? I'm just doing the best I know how to respond to Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is asking. I don't think this is a Janine asking. This is a Jesus ask. I just want to do what he's doing. I want to follow Jesus. And if Jesus had said, I want you to have a little house church of 25 people in your living room, I would have said, yeah, I'll do it. But you know what he said? I want you to have Crestwood Vineyard. 
And you know what he said to each of you? You know what church I want you to be at? I want you to be at Crestwood Vineyard. And this is what I want for Crestwood Vineyard. It's like uh, the women who, of uh, those of you who went to the Dream Big um, conference thing at Bridgeway a few weeks ago, like, what is it in your heart that God wants to do? You know what? He's got a heart for Crestwood Vineyard. You know what he wants from Crestwood Vineyard? He wants a lot more than what we have right now. You know? He's got dreams. He's got big dreams. And he's got lots of grace to make it happen. Lots of love along the way. Lots of encounters with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, so let's end there. Everybody stand up. Uh, let's end on the note of needing the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. So Holy Spirit, come. Come and fall on your people, Lord. Come and fall on your people. You've called them builders. You've called them bringers. And some of us don't feel like that's what we are, but that's what you've called us. So we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and wreck us. Come and wreck us, Holy Spirit. Come and wreck us, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. I believe the Lord's going to start dropping ideas, thoughts, dreams in your heart. Don't push it away. I believe it's the Lord. And some of it's going to be right now, but some of it may be over the, the weeks to come. So, Lord, would you, would you drop those seeds just like the parable of the sower with the seeds? Would you just drop those seeds of your dreams in our heart, Lord. We invite you to come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. This is your church. You're building it. We don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We don't have the might. We don't have the people. We don't have anything it takes. But Lord, you do. So Lord, would you come? Would you come, Lord? Would you come and fall on your people? Come, Lord Jesus, come. We thank you that you are gentle and humble of spirit because we're going to need that for the journey you've got us on. But we just thank you, Lord, for your gentle guiding hand for your humble spirit that can teach us and guide us where we're going, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. We love you. We adore you. Chantal and Levi, can you guys come back up? We praise you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord Jesus. It's all for your glory, Lord that you could use these people, us, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty darn amazing. And so we just thank you. We praise you. Can we go back into some of the stuff we were doing earlier?
Yeah. Why don't you guys just remain standing and engaged as we go back into, the, into worship? Because we can't do this without the Lord. It's ridiculous to even try. <laughs> it's just ridiculous to even try. So we've got to keep our focus on Jesus. We've got to continue to exalt him, to adore him. So Lord, help us keep our eyes on you. Through the struggle, through the trials, Lord, help us keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Jesus.